When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Conference Championships. Of course, that's the nothing personal word of the day. It is Monday, January 30th, 2023. Who's tired? I'm not tired. The game's ended early. I like the 3 p.m., 6.30 p.m. schedule for the NFC and AFC Championships. Number one takeaway, let's talk about the second game first. Got to talk about Patrick Mahomes. Face of the league, does the most commercials per cap of any player. That is absolutely anecdotal. Somebody who was coming in with a high ankle sprain, but highly doubtful that it was a real high ankle sprain, not being a conspiracy theorist, but a real high ankle sprain, you're not playing next week. And did you notice before the game started, the sideline reporter said, and he didn't take a shot. Maybe that's the first player ever who doesn't take a shot before playing the way he plays with a high ankle sprain. But they wrap it up. He's got great pain tolerance. They made very clear that the Cincinnati Bengals were not changing their attack because of the lack of mobility of Patrick Mahomes. They weren't changing their game plan. Those words are only spoken by people who have never done game planning for an opponent. You absolutely game plan to an opponent's strength and to an opponent's weakness. There is absolutely practice that was being done in the Bengals during the week leading up to this championship game on the assumption that Patrick Mahomes would not be as mobile as he normally is. It can change whether you assign a player to him. It can do all of those different things. But the reality is that Patrick Mahomes gets on stage. And yes, I'm calling the field a stage because it is a stage. And you can see that he's got an ankle problem. You can see that he's favoring it. You can see that he is doing short passes to the release, to the quarter, to the running back who releases or a tight end to releases, not very much going on down the field, notwithstanding the fact that his main receivers were hurt. But forgetting all that, just his ability to go down the field was limited. His, avail- his availability and ability to do things that we're used to seeing him do were limited. Of course, Coach Taylor of the Bengals was aware of that. So the game is going on and I'm watching. And of course, the Chiefs were favored by one. They knew the winner of that game was playing the Eagles, a game which we're going to talk about next on this show. But I'm just watching, thinking to myself, it's going to be like whoever has the ball last is going to win. You get that feeling in basketball sometimes. You get that feeling, less so in baseball, 
where if you have the bat in your hand, you'll do a walk-off. You always dream that when you're at home, but you'd be surprised how few walk-offs there actually are in baseball. But all of that said, in basketball, more so, football, the most. I feel whoever has the ball at the end is going to win. So they're going back and forth, and you punt with two minutes to go. Surprises me. The Bengals have a chance in a tie game to go, drive the field, and kick a game-winning field goal, similar to what happened in last year's championship game, although, of course, that was overtime. However, the Bengals don't get it done. They're punting back with 30 seconds to go, one timeout, and Patrick Mahomes, not the Patrick Mahomes we know, the hurt Patrick Mahomes, gets the ball. What's the first thing that happens? There's a 29-yard punt return. When you are punting the ball back, the one thing you're focused on is not giving up a punt return. I don't know why nobody's talking about it. To me, that was the single most important play of last night's game. Not the personal foul, which is coming up soon, but the 29-yard punt return. It puts the Chiefs in position where with one timeout, a limping quarterback who's in pain beyond comprehension feels as though they're a play or two away from lining up for a last second field goal and not subjecting themselves to the new rules of overtime, which of course never got explained on the air. I was definitely waiting for that. Didn't happen. It was only a mention that this could be the first game with the new rules, but hey, we're not going to get into the new rules until we have to. I really wanted to see CBS's graphic of the new rules. Have Tony Romo and Jim Nance try to explain that. 29-yard punt return. What's the next thing that you do when you are a coach of a defensive team? You are being very clear. There's only so many things that players can be told. If you actually listen to an NBA timeout, it would blow your mind how few things are actually said to the players. If you went to the mound and were able to listen in to a mound meeting, you'd be staggered. It's not exactly Bull Durham with, hey, what are we doing for dinner? But it's damn close to that. When there's 30 seconds left in the game, there are two things that you focus on. Number one, keep a player in bounds. Keep an offensive player in bounds, no matter what. Number two, no stupid penalties. Don't give the referees a chance to give them the game. Two things. That's all you have to remember. I don't care if you don't remember what the play call is. I don't care if you have a blown coverage. Keep the player in bounds. No stupid penalties. We're down to the end of the game. 10 seconds left. Patrick Mahomes has not been scrambling all game because he's got a high ankle sprain and he can't move. He gets flushed out of the pocket and starts running. There are people saying that there were holds on the play. There are people saying there were no holds on the play. It doesn't much matter because no holds were called. Mahomes starts scrambling and he is ducking out of bounds. Joseph Asai says, I know what I'm going to do. And he's a first year player who's had a great year, by the way. Comes in and pushes him in what he thought was backwards because there's a rule that got a lot of attention this year, which really didn't used to get this much attention. When you're trying to stop the clock as an offensive player, if you're not moving forward when you are pushed out of bounds, then the clock won't stop. You've got to be moving forward. So offensive players are taught to move forward. Defensive players are taught to push backwards. Because if you're going backwards when you're out of bounds, then the clock rolls, and that would have been it. 
So Osai pushes him, and out comes the flag. Because Mahomes falls on the sideline having been pushed. It is a ugly fall because when you fall and you have a hurt ankle, when you have a hurt any part of your leg and you fall, you are protecting your leg. So you are falling in a way, just close your eyes. I know we're live and you're watching on YouTube, but close your eyes and imagine when you have fallen, when you're trying to protect a body part. Let's say you've got a phone in your hand, so you're trying to protect your wrist. Do you agree that you're going to fall in a way that you're going to try to roll to protect your phone? Or if you're holding a drink, you've done this, and you fall when you're holding a drink. I don't mean alcohol. It could be a, a shake from McDonald's. But you fall. You know that you're trying to have the most minimum spillage possible. Now picture that you've got a bad knee and you're pushed down. You're going to bend your knee and you're going to do that type of roll that tucks the knee under so it gets protected. Mahomes did the same thing with the ankle. So it looks awkward. And when you're pushed and you fall and it looks awkward and you're a quarterback and you're the face of the NFL, there's a good chance there's going to be a penalty. The penalty's called. Kansas City kicks a field goal, a reasonable field goal because of the extra 15 yards, and Kansas City is going to the Super Bowl. Cut to Joseph Asai on the sideline wearing his Bengals helmet, putting it back on and sobbing, not leaving the bench at the end of the game, being consoled, being told that he was not the reason. The first thing that I'm doing, and it's sad to say as president of the Bengals, is I'm making sure that I'm down in that clubhouse, making sure that we do not have one issue with our team. We cannot blame that loss on Joseph Asai. That will have a long-term problem with an asset. I'm just giving you the mentality as a president. You've got to make sure that he knows. And at all playoff games, our team psychologist is there for something like that that would happen, for a strikeout that ends a game, for somebody getting the yips, anything that could happen during the course of a game for someone who's having problems at home. We are on site and ready to go. The minute that play happens, I'm in... I'm not in emotional mode. I'm in, we got to fix this mode. I want to make sure that we are keeping things tight, that we know the exact words that are going to be spoken by the coach, by the players, that we are a unit because I know, as president of the Bengals, that we are not at the end of our window. We are in our window of winning and we need a Super Bowl victory. We have to start pushing the boulder back up, but we got to stop this avalanche from happening right now and the boulder crushing us because of this loss. Coach Taylor had the perfect comments. This loss is not on one person. Osai met the media, took it like a man, said how unhappy he was, how disappointed he was, how sick he feels, how the blame should be on him when he knows very well there were myriad other plays throughout the course of this game that caused the Bengals to not win and the Chiefs to win. In my entire career, I've never had a game where there was one play that caused a win or a loss. Fans would say differently. Fans look at a game very differently than executives do or coaches do, and they have recency bias. They look at the final play of the game. How could you foul that player? How could you not throw a strike? How could you walk that guy? And they're not paying attention to the three and one count when there was a runner on third with one out and there was a ball right down the middle and your hitter popped it up to third base because he was trying to hit a home run and didn't get the run in. Nah, you're not thinking about that. It happened four innings ago. Trust me, I'm thinking about that. So were all the scouts and the GMs. On the way into the clubhouse, there was a player who's a 
I'm going to call him a borderline player. He's a linebacker named Jermaine Pratt. He's a member of the Bengals. He's on the last year of his deal. Going to be an unrestricted free agent. Coca, here's a wait to see for you, and you can make it official. Jermaine Pratt will not be a Bengal next year. Jermaine Pratt on the way into the clubhouse with cameras, with microphones, was blaming Osai for the loss, swearing, what the F? Why the F did you touch the quarterback? See you later. I'm releasing Jermaine Pratt and letting his agent know that he will not be back with the team today because that's the exact type of teammate I don't want on my team. Now, it's made easier by the fact that he's a marginal player. If Joe Burrow had been saying it, I'm meeting with Joe Burrow to say, hey, you're not doing this. You can't be the leader of our team and do this. When it's a mediocre player or a player just shy of mediocre, sayonara. So Jermaine Pratt will be gone. I promise you that. So Patrick Mahomes now has two weeks. What's he going to do? You're going to hear talk for the next two weeks about his ankle. He is getting treatment today at Arrowhead, which I learned yesterday. Coca, did you know that Arrowhead is now called something else? I used to know the name of every stadium. And I didn't realize that Arrowhead had changed its name. And I saw it on the top of the stadium during one of the drone shots. Giha, Gon, Gonad, Gorad. I can't remember what it's called, but what is it? Oh, it is still called Arrowhead? Are you sure? It looked like Gera. Yes, Gera. Oh, they named the field. <laughs> That's so awesome. What is Gera? Is that a company? Is that a person? Insurance company? Giha? Giha Field at Arrowhead Stadium. He's there today. He's getting treatment on the ankle. He's got two weeks. They're going to figure out with their doctors. They're forced to travel to Phoenix on a certain day. You don't get a choice. But before that, he will get work on it. I would not expect him to have any contact practices. He may take snaps in practice, but it is going to be a bit because they've got the two weeks. You want to get off your ankle, make sure there's no swelling, because if you're going to have a chance against the Eagles, you want his ankle to be as cured as possible. The problem, if it's a real high ankle sprain, which I tend to doubt because it's almost impossible that he played as well as he played on a high ankle sprain yesterday. I mean, adrenaline is a hell of a thing, and so are pain medicines and painkillers and pain shots, which he alleged he didn't get. But it's hard to do. And you wake up the next morning, and it H-U-R-T-S, and I don't mean Jalen. So this was a good game. I enjoyed it. I wanted the Bengals or Chiefs to win. I'd pick the Chiefs. But I was so angry still about the first game that it sort of bothered me as I watched the second game and I finally got over it maybe around halftime when there's two games. I don't know if you guys, if you do this math, I do when there's back to back, like a double header, the first half of the first game to me is the first quarter of a game. So I try to feel it the first half, the way I feel at the end of the first quarter, which is filled with hope. There's so much in front of you at the end of the first game. It's halftime. You say, all right, I'm going to get some food, but I have a whole nother half to go. But then by the end of the first half of the second game, you're like, wow, it's the start of the fourth quarter, time for the Sunday scaries. So the entire second half of the Kansas City-Cincinnati game, that's all I was thinking about is, wow, it's the fourth quarter. Tony Romo thought that too. So the first game had a problem. And Coke and I had words this morning and last night preparing for the show. We spent a lot of time together bringing you this show. We spend time at night talking about it. We spend time in the morning talking about it. And 
He is trying to overcompensate at all times for the fact and trying to protect me at all times from myself. And that is a job that is not easy to do. And I give him credit for that, for even wanting to do it. But he gets alerts or sees when I tweet and gets upset when my tweets are misunderstood or my tweets are not funny. And I get, if you're a David P. Sampson, you don't get every tweet. Some tweets I send to make me laugh. Some tweets I send just for a small percentage of people. Sometimes I feel like commenting on something and I'll tweet it. There are numerous times that I write out a tweet and then hit cancel, discard draft. Hearing his voice in my head saying, ask yourself, does anyone want to hear what you have to say about this subject? And then my ego on my left shoulder says, damn right they do. So I tweeted the fact that the NFL should be embarrassed about the San Francisco game against Philadelphia. And for whatever reason, many of you thought that I was talking about the scrum and the fact that there was a fight. That's not embarrassing. That happens. You don't want to see it happen. We were told in no uncertain terms as we headed into the World Series against the Yankees, the commissioner, Bud Selig at the time, was very clear to me and to Randy Levine that there will be no shenanigans. It's not a good look. They don't like the bench clearing brawls. They do not. The NBA changed the rules. You can't leave the bench. The NFL apparently changed the rules. You can't leave the bench, but you get a fine at the NBA. If you leave the bench, it's a suspension, an automatic suspension. Even if you're in the playoffs, you know what I'm talking about, New York Knicks and Miami Heat fans. There are suspensions. They let you feel the team, but not a representative team. Remember that Knicks-Heat kerfuffle where the Knicks and Heat were playing shorthanded for game, a game six and a game seven of a conference champion, uh, Eastern Conference Finals or semifinals? It must have been in the 90s at some point. But no, I wasn't talking about that. What embarrassed me is what I know embarrassed the league as they were watching a conference championship. We have a tendency to say that the NFL is bulletproof. 45 million people are watching games between me and Coca. We could put on pads and it wouldn't matter. We'd get the sponsors. We would get the eyeballs and everything would come up roses. Well, that's what the XFL and the USFL have thought as well. Guess what? That's not the case. People are actually watching, not just because of fantasy, but because of gambling, but also because it is a, a generational, experiential Sunday. We're together. You barbecue, you have people over. The reason the Super Bowl is the biggest event of the year is that it breeds togetherness. It's an excuse to party or to see people you haven't seen, to spend time with people you don't normally see. That's the point of the Super Bowl. And the conference championships, the NFL would like those to become the same thing. And frankly, there are people who prefer Championship Sunday to Super Bowl Sunday because you have two games instead of one. So the game starts with Brock Purdy as quarterback for the San Francisco Giants, not Jimmy Garoppolo, not Trey Lance, the third string quarterback, who, by the way, had been undefeated, has been playing amazingly well against some teams that were good, some teams that were mediocre, and some teams that were crappy. But going into a game against the Eagles defense, there was some question as to how he would perform. He looks a little out of sync, and before you know it, bing, bang, boom, his arm goes back to throw. He needs Tommy John. Now, will he actually need Tommy John? He's going to get an MRI today, but he hurt his elbow. And when you hurt your elbow, let me explain what happens, because what they kept saying on the air 
was about, and this was Olsen saying it, about being able to grip the ball. And so you think that that's a, a something with the ball. Maybe if they just put spikes on the ball or made it a Nerf ball, he could grip it. When you have a problem with your ligament, uh, you cannot straighten your elbow. So the ligament, the UCL, is what enables you to have what's called full extension. So imagine throwing a football and you cannot extend your elbow. The whole point of throwing a football is you take it and you throw it, not unlike a curveball, by the way, for pitchers where you release it like that with your full elbow. I'm saying like that. If you're listening, you have no idea what I'm saying, but you could go on YouTube, even though it won't be live when you go. For the people who are live, they're seeing it now. So Brock Purdy's out. He can't throw. In comes Josh Johnson, the opening day starter of Marlins Park, an unbelievable sinker ball, so heavy, so good. He of the multiple Tommy Johns comes in the game as the backup to the backup to the backup quarterback. I know it's not that Josh Johnson from Oklahoma. It's a different Josh Johnson, a veteran. Apparently, he's been in the league 10 or 15 years. I never heard of him. He comes in the game, and he's not good. Do you blame him? So the NFL is watching this game saying, wow, this is not going to be the type of game we thought. This is not a full strength against a full strength. This is not like Jordan being injured. But when you have Niners Eagles playing and you have a team without a quarterback, it's the equivalent of a major league baseball team without a starting pitcher for any game, doing bullpen games an entire series, having every starter out having an inability to exchange bullpen arms during the course of a series, having their arms fall off. And in the final two games of a seven-game series, you've got Ichiro pitching or any sort of position player. Pujols, somebody. So Josh Johnson's in the game and gets absolutely crushed. Hits his head. And the new rules in, in uh, the National Football League are very clear. We want... No more concussions. We really care about the players. Translation, we don't want any more lawsuits. We've paid the CTE settlement. We are going to be overprotective. We are going to put a blue tent. We're going to put people in a blue tent when they get a hangnail. They're going to shove themselves in the blue tent. We're going to have a eye in the sky, a doctor in the sky. Well, that looks bad. Get them in the tent. Josh Johnson gets sacked because of course he does. Hits his head because of course he does. Goes to the blue tent because of course he does. Out for the game. Don't worry. Tua can keep playing, but Josh Johnson can't. Now what? They have no other quarterbacks. The NFL changed rule. There's no more emergency third quarterbacks on the active roster each day. They took it away. When you are negotiating a collective bargain agreement, you want to take union jobs away. That is normal. That is what management does. In this case... They took away a job, a paid job of having a third quarterback available who can be activated in the middle of a game to become a quarterback. They took it away. That leaves Christian McCaffrey as the fifth string emergency quarterback. They put him behind center. They called the Wildcat. He threw one pass maybe. But instead, Kyle Shanahan decided, I'm just going to run. And when you have no chance of passing and you're only running in a league where there's only passing, that's like saying to an NBA team, good luck today. You're not allowed to shoot three-pointers. Oh, side note, you can't dunk either. Well, what do I have to do? Well, you can take two-point shots. 
Well, no one takes two-point shots. Exactly. Good luck. That's what it was like for the Niners. The San Francisco 49ers had zero chance to win that game. Not because they were worse than the Philadelphia Eagles, because they had no chance versus the Philadelphia Eagles. So now we move on to the Super Bowl. I think the line is going to open with the Eagles favor by a bit. We'll talk about it over the next couple of weeks. First Super Bowl, they started this immediately. Look for the NFL to absolutely pound this as part of its marketing, part of its prep for the Super Bowl. First ever Super Bowl with two black starting quarterbacks. You're just going to read about it. Get used to it. They're making a lot of movies about racial relations. We're going to review one after the break and then talk about something that Damar Hamlin had to do yesterday that made me very, very sad. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, all the things that you do. Today's Monday, almost Friday. I watched a movie yesterday before post-Australian Open and pre-NFL. There was plenty of time, as you would imagine, for me to watch my movie of the day. New movie on Netflix. I put Jonah Hill in the category, I'm watching his movies. New movie called You People on Netflix. You People, I just, I didn't know. I, keep in mind, I knew nothing about the movie. Zero. No trailers, no reviews. When I see You People, I see Jonah Hill's in it. I see Eddie Murphy's in it. My assumption is you people is going to be something about race. You people. But didn't know what. Jonah Hill meets in a very strange way. Actually, this was filmed right across the street from the Nakatomi Plaza of Die Hard. There are some buildings in Century City right near the Fox lot. There is where there is a, an agency where it was filmed. And there's the Nakatomi Plaza building, which is right next to the Fox lot right near the Intercontinental uh, Hotel there on Avenue of the Stars, if you ever get out there. That's really what it's called, Avenue of the Stars. So I'm watching you people, and the first thing I see is Jonah Hill, and then I see Elliot Gould. Then I see Julie Louis-Dreyfus playing his mother. I see David Duchovny from X-Files playing his father. In comes Eddie Murphy and Nia Long playing the mother and father of his girlfriend who he meets because he thought she was his Uber driver, but in fact she wasn't. And then you see this love story happen between them. A black girl and a white guy are getting together. And wouldn't you know what follows? 
the most cringeworthy, uncomfortable movie I've ever seen that attempted to make people understand what families go through when a Jewish family and a black family are getting together. Maybe being Jewish didn't matter. Maybe it did. As they try to understand how each other could have each other in their lives and the implications it will have for each family. We're welcoming a white guy. Well, we're bringing in a black guy. You don't know anything about us. We got to do better. There are so many things going on. There's so much racism. There's so much prejudice. If you're going to, if you're going to do a guess who's coming to dinner, can't we make it good? Or are we trying to dumb it down to the point where people, the only thing they'll think about when watching this movie is, God, I don't want to be in that situation. And if I am in that situation, here's the top 10 things I'll never say, because not only aren't they funny, but they'll cause silence. I don't know how anybody else is perceiving this movie, but the way I perceived it is that they got a bunch of big names together. They took a matter of social importance, a relevant matter of the day. They put this movie together. They filmed it in everybody's backyard in, a, in Los Angeles, and they released it on Netflix and said, go. You people, guess what? You people can miss this movie. So we talked about social media at the start of the show and Coca's unhappiness with social media, at least my use of it, not social media in general, just in general, me. I think, I think it's hard. It's hard for him to hang out with a boomer every day, all day. What are we? Episode what? 743. And that's just the regular episodes. I get it. I get it. I'm not the easiest guy in the world, but by the way, you're no picnic, Matt. But without you, there's no show. You know that. Although, yeah, no, there's not. So on social media, which I'm on way too much, and I did not choose this weekend to be my New Year's resolution of choosing a weekend of being totally unplugged, because I felt as though, how could I be unplugged this weekend, which is certainly how I'm going to feel next weekend and every weekend until the end of the year. How I'm going to choose a weekend is beyond me. I'm going to have to take a trip or something. There are all these conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories have been going on for 40 years, for 100 years, since the beginning of time. There's always people thinking that something's going on that's not. That's called a conspiracy theory. JFK was a movie entirely about conspiracy theories about the assassination of JFK. Oliver Stone has made a career about conspiracy theories. There's movies called conspiracy theory. People love it because they say to themselves, wow, that's possible. So I've participated in some things that would be considered conspiracy theories when we've tried to delay news getting out or change news getting out or give a story about something that was not actually real, trying to get you to buy it. Mostly it comes in trial balloon form. Mostly you understand that the cover-up is worse than the crime. So if we're trying to hide something, we know we can only do it for a couple of days, like an injury, let's say, or something that's going on with a stadium or a trade. There's been conspiracy theories surrounding DeMar Hamlin that have been in quite poor taste. The conspiracy theories have been about him not being alive and that through the snow when Buffalo was playing, whoever they played when they lost, maybe that was Cincinnati, and they went to him when he was at the game and he did the hard thing that he does. You couldn't see his face. There were people saying, doctors coming out and, and lawyers and people in general saying, he was intimated, maybe he can't talk. 
or you have no idea recovering from CPR and from being defibrillated, it's you broken ribs. He can't lift his arms above his head. Maybe he's actually dead, but the NFL doesn't want you to know he's dead because they don't want to take the focus away from the playoffs. So they're going to keep him alive like Bernie and then get rid of him. People then were saying, why doesn't he just talk? If he's actually alive, go out there and do a video and show us, do an interview. Oh, he must be waiting for Michael Strahan on Good Morning America, going full Prince Harry, getting paid and doing a big interview. Maybe he's writing a book. Maybe he's trying to figure out where his $9 million is going. Maybe he took his $9 million and disappeared. Everybody's talking all this trash and it forced Damar Hamlin to do something that he wasn't ready to do. Damar Hamlin posted a video yesterday thanking his supporters, thanking the doctors, and he looked amazing. And all I kept thinking is that this is where we are, where social media is now dictating policy. It's dictating timelines. One of the things when you run a business or a team is you have to be very careful about letting outside forces talk about and have any sort of say in your timeline when you're rolling out a product, when you are marketing that product, when you are selling something, developing something, you cannot do something prematurely because there is a rumor that there's another company that's going to beat you to market. That's a very common thing that people do. If two people are coming out with the documentary, remember the two, uh, there were two magician movies, The Prestige and The Illusionist. They were trying to beat each other. There were two movies about the uh, stolen Leonardo da Vinci that came out right around the same time. There are two movies about, about things that happen and you're rushing to market and you forget about the quality because you think you have to be first. Here's a little newsflash. You have to be better, not first. Being first to market, that can be an advantage until people realize your product sucks and then you've lost the entire head start, the entire advantage, and then you're out of business. Forcing DeMar Hamlin to do this was very upsetting to me because he had no choice. The noise around him was absolutely mind numbing. Was he gonna wait until the end of the Super Bowl? Was he gonna wait a month? Was he gonna take a break? Did he wanna rehearse it? Did he wanna practice? Did he wanna relax? We put people in a position to react and to act in a way they don't want to because we're like a Twitter mob, which is a microcosm of a societal mob. I found it extremely upsetting. The good news is that all conspiracy theories have been put to rest and Damar Hamlin has made a miraculous recovery, having no idea whether he'll play football again. And frankly, my dear Watson, I don't give a tinker's damn if he suits up again. The fact that there's an opportunity for him to live is quite, quite enough. Nothing personal pick of the day. We are now 14 and 17 after a one and two weekend. I don't know what to do about the NBA, Matt. Uh, the Grizzlies four over Minnesota Friday, not even close. I just, I don't know what to do. Eventually we've got to turn around. It's early. It's not even the end of January yet. I have till tomorrow, but a below 500 month is quite disappointing. We had the Niners plus two and a half over the Eagles. I've never wanted to change a pick more than when Brock Purdy fumbled and hurt his elbow. Short of that happening, all the turnovers, the defensive penalties, the absolute sloppiness of the Niners. They didn't lose only because they didn't have an emergency quarterback or a third quarterback or because Josh Johnson is Josh Johnson or Brock Purdy hurt his elbow. 
that defense, the special teams, it was pathetic. But then we made up for it with the Chiefs minus one over the Bengals. The Chiefs are not a very good team for covering at home. They usually win but don't cover. But I just had the feeling that Patrick Mahomes would find a way to win. And little did I know that we needed Joseph Asai to do it. Just kidding. So let's do our pick today. Ready? We're gonna before we do the pick of the day, can we talk about LeBron James? Did you watch the Celtics Lakers game? What fascinated me about the Celtics Lakers game is that we did a segment, and I love when we do this, when segments happen and they are relevant immediately. We did a segment on referees, as you might recall. And the segment was about the fact that referees are getting a lot of negative attention. You've got pool re- pool referees, pool reporters who are speaking to one referee at the end of a game. You've got all sorts of things going on. Referees apologizing, referees saying we're not apologizing. There was a call at the end of the Lakers-Celtics game where LeBron drove to the basket and was fouled, but the foul wasn't called. And LeBron had this amazing overreaction. But if you see the play, it is a clear, clear foul. Right there, you can see Tatum hitting LeBron's arm. That's a foul, two shots, Lakers win the game. LeBron's reaction to that was less than what I would call um, professional. Patrick Beverly's reaction, less than what I would call professional. But be that as it may, the NBA referees have a Twitter account. It is a nightmare for referees to have a Twitter account. It's a nightmare for Major League Baseball umpires to have Twitter accounts. They're monitored all the time. But this is run by the NBA referees. And they tweeted, like everyone else, referees make mistakes. We made one at the end of last night's game, and that is gut-wrenching for us. This play will weigh heavily and cause sleepless nights as we strive to be the best referees we can be. Were they joking? Were they being jocular or wait, were they being actually serious? You think they're going to have sleepless nights? There have been umpires who had sleepless nights. I'm talking to you, Jim Joyce, and I know it. And it's not that you don't deserve it. Missed calls happen. It's why referees appreciate replay now. What is the purpose of replay if not to avoid sleepless nights to the extent that referees actually have them? Isn't that the only reason to do it? But yet, league officials and league executives are so busy making rules of what is or is not reviewable, what can or cannot be overturned because we don't want to delay the game because we don't want to waste your time. Meanwhile, we'll play a three-hour and 20-minute game and then have the entire game change on what's an obvious mistake. I am fine with judgment calls when judgment calls are the only available calls. I am not fine with the judgment call on whether a ball is fair or foul. It's either fair or foul. I am not fine with a judgment call, whether it's a home run. I'm not fine with the judgment call when there is a foul at the basket. I'm fine with going up for rebound, loose ball fouls. I'm totally fine with judgment calls. No problem. Judgment calls on the pitch clock which you're going to see plenty of, I'm good. But anytime where you can have a binary result, I'm not good. We've got the technology. Let's use it. That's the purpose of it. If it leads to automated balls and strikes, which it's going to, great. If it leads to more reviews at the end of a game, okay. 
but we've got to make the reviews faster. How many times can I ask people to watch freaking tennis? Now it's 3.30 in the morning. I grant you that. I watched it. Watched Djokovic win his 22nd Grand Slam. And all I kept watching is nobody's on the court. There's one chair umpire and there's four ball people. No line judges. Nobody's standing there like this in their suit, in their suit jacket trying to look at a serve of 131 miles an hour to see whether or not it hits the white line going down the middle in the deuce court. Why? Because they've got the technology to tell you whether or not it touched the white line. And guess what? They're never wrong. It would have been very easy for the NBA referees to get that call right. It would have taken five seconds, one look, one look on the replay, and it's done. There are systems, there are entire systems for Major League Baseball where we have officials and umpires in a replay room watching every game. Now, the argument is they can't see every play of every game because there's so many games going on at once during the course of a night. Okay, they can. What about putting the technology in each stadium which calls balls and strikes? You don't need anybody in New York for that. If you can't get to the side, put on your headphones in an NBA game and get the call right, all we need is a referee in each booth in each stadium. How about that? Nope. We tried that in MLB. Umpires wanted it, and we said, no, we're not paying for an extra umpire to travel. We're not paying for an extra umpire at each stadium. And we're not giving up a GM booth or another booth that we can monetize or put a broadcast channel in, we're not giving that booth to an umpire. So they built an entire room in New York, an entire studio. It's pretty cool if you've ever been there, where the umpires have access to everything. It just bothered me. And I've been on the other side of that, by the way, the entire time. My entire life, Jordan got every call against the Knicks. Well, it's not going to worry about it tonight because the Nets are playing the Lakers. There's no LeBron. There's no AD. The Nets are favored by nine over the Lakers. There's no, let's see about this great game. No Durant, no AD, and no LeBron. It's exactly what the NBA should want. Is it almost time to shorten the regular season? Nets minus nine. That's my pick. Yes, I'm going to keep trying. Hi. My name is David Sampson. I'm the president of the Miami Marlins. Welcome to another preseason breakfast. I'm very happy to be here today with the Kiwanis Club of Hialeah. And I would like to say to you that I am so excited for this upcoming season because there's a good chance that we can play 500 ball. Yes, the crowd goes crazy. Charlie Monfort is the owner of the Colorado Rockies. He went to a breakfast in Colorado and said, in no uncertain terms, hey, I think we can play 500 ball. And he's getting ripped. How do you feel about that? If you're Chris Bryant, you signed that huge contract. Now your team is struggling to even play 500. Trick question, he doesn't care. He got paid. How do you feel if you're a season ticket holder for the Colorado Rockies, all excited for this upcoming season, and your owner just said, hey, we think we can play 500 ball? If it's not your money, if corporate sponsor, marketing department has the tickets that they allocate to people, you know what I'm talking about. There's a corporate-owned suite 
where there's someone in charge of allocating suite tickets. Hey, can I get the suite tickets to that Thursday night game? I'm going to take a bunch of friends, have fun, free food. Wait, the owner said we're only going to play 500 ball? Don't care. So many people do care. Longtime fans who invest their own personal money. You think that they're just now realizing that the Rockies are probably not going to prevail in their division? That the signing of Chris Bryant and the other things they've done is probably not going to be enough? What do you think? We're stupid? There is one lesson that is very important to know is you don't ever treat your customers as though they're stupid. And that is the excuse that Charlie Monfort would use for saying what is obvious to everyone that, hey, if possible, we'd love to play 500 ball. But in sports, there's a different rule of thumb. And the different rule of thumb is you keep the dream alive until you are mathematically unable to dream. And so what you say is when you host one of these breakfasts or when you're a keynote speaker and you're going into a season where the odds are that you're going to suck, but you're really hoping for a good spring training and some sort of momentum, a good start to the season because you'd love to be playing meaningful games in June, July, August, September. So what you do is you take the microphone and you say, we are in a tough division, no doubt. But with the group that we've assembled, we are confident that if everything falls right, we will be able to compete and play meaningful games throughout the season. It's easy. That's all you have to say. You can cross your toes. You can cross your fingers. You can roll your eyes. You can say it with some tinge of sarcasm, but you've got to say it. Charlie Monfort's going to get a call. And the reason he's going to get a call is that the commissioner of baseball does not like it when owners say what everybody thinks. Because Commissioner Manfred learned well from Commissioner Selig, the only thing that matters is all 30 teams having hope from the beginning of the season. Not hope to play 500, hope to be one of the playoff teams. That's the reason why they had the expanded playoffs. And with expanded playoffs in MLB, you have more teams in it for longer, which means you don't do what Monfort did. And so you just call them up and you remind them that that really flies against what we're trying to do to market our league to keep games interesting. And Charlie Monfort is going to get spoken to by people who aren't his sycophants, which means that, oh, maybe he won't get spoken to, but somebody there will. And just suggest to him that the next time he meets the media, which will be during spring training, to say something slightly different. I would not correct what he said, even though it's gotten a lot of attention. I don't think he needs to do another statement. Let the story die. Let the players report, which is going to happen in the next couple of weeks. And then when he meets the media, he can say something as simple as, we are very excited and I like what I've seen so far. That's what you say in spring training. I like what I've seen so far. Then in the early season, if you're not playing well, you say, I'm not pleased with how we started, but there's a long way to go. It's still early. Then when it's middle of the season, it's not early. I'm disappointed, but we still have a shot, but we got to get hot now. Then you trade everyone at the trade deadline and say, we want to be put in a position where we can be competitive next year. It's like the timeline of the seasons, baby. It's just business. Sorry, Rockies fans. This is nothing personal.